Thank you, Amy. Good morning, Arcadia. How you guys doing? Great to see you. I've only been away for eight days, and it and it just I I I feel like I haven't been here in a while, and I missed you guys, and it's uh, really good to be back. Uh, we are in our fourth week of uh, and and last week of this series in Matthew 13. So if you have a Bible or an app, please uh, turn there. Uh, if you're new to uh, Redemption Arcadia, my name is Frank. I'm the lead pastor here, so I'm usually the guy you're going to see up here, except for last week, of course, when uh, Sean was up here because I was away. Um, but uh, if you're wondering why I keep mentioning our, our, uh, our geographical location in the name of our church, Redemption Arcadia, um, it's because uh, Redemption Church is actually one church with seven congregations. And so we have, we have services going on, on uh, all over Maricopa County this morning in other locations, as well as Flagstaff. Uh, so we are the Arcadia expression of Redemption Church. Each uh, Redemption Church has its own local uh, leadership, elders and lead pastor, lead teaching pastor and all that. So uh, you're in one church in Arcadia, but you're also uh, a part of a bigger church as well. And we uh, normally at Redemption, we like to go through books of the Bible verse by verse. And sometimes that can take a little while. As many of you know, we've been going through the book of Romans and it's, we, we've been more than a year in that, but we're we're taking uh, about 10 weeks off from Romans right now. We're finishing a little tiny mini-series. That's a small series for us. It's four weeks uh, today, the last week in, in Matthew uh, 13. Next week, we'll start a five-week series uh, in the Old Testament. It's going to be sort of an Old Testament overview in five weeks, just kind of give you the, 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 the major themes and threads of the Old Testament over the course of five weeks before we return to Romans at the end of, of June, and we will finish Romans uh, prior to Advent this year. So that's kind of our plan. Uh, like I said, fourth week in this series called Pictures of the Kingdom, Jesus is telling his first parables in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13, and they're all about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, uh, what it is, what it, what it looks like, what it's supposed to look like, and what it will look like in its consummation when Jesus comes again and we have the new Jerusalem. So all of that is, is going on in these parables. We've looked at the parable of the soils which was the longest um, sermon and, the, and message that we had. It covered the most verses, 24 or 25. Then we looked at the parable of the wheat and the tares or the parable of the weeds. Uh, last week, uh, Sean Myers, the guy who was just up here, he, he uh, preached on the parables of, of growth and, and growing, um, our pastoral resident. And, and I, haven't ha I just got back, so I haven't had the chance to listen to the sermon yet. I listened to all of his sermons, partly because I enjoy them, but partly I, I'm also... Uh, supposed to be helping him to try to figure out how to do that even better. Um, but I, I, so I haven't listened to it yet, but I have asked like 12 or 14 people what they remember or what they thought of the sermon, and every single person has said the same thing. Apparently, he talked about three things during this sermon. He talked about sex, marijuana, and guacamole during this sermon. Is that the kingdom? I don't know. I just, it's just, uh, it, it just kind of, and what scares me is I'm, I'm the one who's supposed to be teaching him, so I'm, I, I guess I'm going to have a little work cut out for me this week when I try to figure all of that out. Anyway, this week we get to talk about, this is the last week, we get to talk about treasure. Um, we have just three verses, and contained in these three verses are two short little parables that essentially say the exact same thing. Uh, it's, it's the most immediate and rapid kind of communication that you will find 
anywhere in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is, is the longest gospel. It, 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 it tends to contain a great deal of, of detail. But in these three verses, the action moves very, very quickly, which is a little bit uncharacteristic for this gospel. But the reason is because Jesus wants to make the point. The greatest treasure in your life is going to be the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that he has ushered in and will bring in and consummate again when he comes the second time. And so I want to start this morning's message by asking this question, and, and it's a rhetorical question, and, and I'm sure most of you will know exactly where I'm going when I ask it, but I'm going to spend a lot of time on this question because I really want you to sit and resonate and think about this question. It's important for us to get our, our arms around it. And here's the question. How many of you have ever thought or said out loud, and remember, you're in church now, so you have to be honest, okay? It's Sunday morning, you've got your, some of your best clothing on, so... Um, Sunday morning in church, be honest now, you've ever thought, you've thought this, maybe you've even said it out loud, that if you could just have this one thing, if you could acquire this one thing, if you could achieve this one thing, if this one thing would happen in your life, if this one thing would change in your life, if you had this one circumstance in your life, this one thing, if this would just happen in your life, then your life would be complete, your life would be perfect, your life would be awesome, you would have an abundant life, Jesus says in John chapter 10, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly and we are thinking, oh, if I just had this or if I could just achieve that or if I could do this or if I could become that, my life would be perfect. It would be the way I want it to be. And the truth is, we've all said that. And, and the truth is, we've said that all throughout our lives and, and, and and in different seasons of our life, those things that we think are gonna complete our life are gonna be different, Right? Isn't that true? I mean, what you think is going to complete your life when you're 12 is going to be way different than 25, and it's going to be way different when you're 55 or older. And so let me just kind of drudge up some of those things for you. Maybe it was at one time for you, or even right now, maybe it's a particular romantic relationship that you are pursuing or that you've idealized in your mind or that you wish you had. Maybe it's a job or a position at a company. Maybe it's a particular career or a promotion that you're going after. Or maybe it's a degree. Maybe you're in school and there's a degree that you're pursuing. And that seems going to be the thing that's going to complete your life. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a physique that you're pursuing. Maybe you're in one of those seasons of life where everything is all about L.A. fitness or 24-hour fitness. And that's all that you've been, you've been working on. It's this physique thing. Maybe it's a political cause or a politi political campaign that you'd like to be a part of, that you'd like to win, or that you'd like to um, be able to accomplish. Maybe you're an athlete. Um, it could be a sport. Of, it could be a championship, maybe. Uh, both of my daughters played volleyball all through high school, and every fall it was all about trying to win state, and that was, that was a big deal, you know. Um, maybe it could be, maybe it's a legal decision. Maybe you're involved in some sort of a, legal situation and, and that has become the focus in, in your life. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a business deal you're working on and, and you're seeing this deal start to shape up and, and you're beginning to realize whatever your part of that deal is, your commission or your fee or whatever it is, 7%, 15%, 33%, whatever it is, you're looking at the money that's involved in this deal and you're doing this, that mathematical calculation and you're thanking your second grade teacher for teaching you percentages at this point. You're saying, wow, that could be the thing. If this deal, I want this deal to close. 
I want there to be an exchange of ownership and checks because then I'll get my check and that might be the thing. Have I missed anything? Is there anything that I've missed? I don't know, maybe it is. Maybe it's the ultimate soft yogurt or something. I don't know what it is, but, it might, but there's something. And let's not stop there. It's not just that you want this thing or that you wanted this thing in the past, this, this item that you somehow you think is the key to your life, but you want it so badly that there's a sense of urgency to it. It can't come soon enough. You want it right now. And, and, and you're willing to give anything for it or do anything for it. You're willing to sacrifice for it. You're willing to give up whatever you... I'd give my right arm if this... Sorry, left arm. I went to ASU. Left arm. I'd <laughs> give my left arm if I could have this thing happen. And, and you have a focused determination about getting it done. You're so focused that... In a sense, you, you have some characteristics even of a stalker. And you don't have a restraining order against you, but you've got that focus, that characteristic where it's all you think about. And of course, the reason that you have this focus and this urgency and this, and this sacrifice that you're willing to give is because of the joy and happiness that you expect when you obtain, achieve, receive, or embrace, or, or gain whatever it is that you're looking for. And now, let me go even deeper. Maybe an even better question would be this. Many of you have actually obtained, achieved, acquired, or received one or more of these things that you said would complete your life, right? You have. You're living in the wake of actually achieving some of those things, right? You, you might be sitting next to one of them, right? <laughs> That's a little awkward, I know, okay? And it was pretty cool for a while. But eventually, the shine wore off, Right? Right? You know, I, especially since we're coming to Redemption Arcadia, because this, this church is very, very young uh, demographically, but even before that, I, I do a lot of weddings. Uh, in fact, um, in, there's four weeks spanning April and May that I'm doing, that I've done or am doing five weddings. And with weddings comes a lot of premarital counseling. And it's so interesting in the premarital counseling. You know, everybody's so excited. They can't wait. And yeah, we got to get through all this premarital stuff, whatever. But there's just a shine and a luster on that relationship. You know what I mean? And I've been married almost 27 years. And I can tell you, I love De Jackie desperately. And she's still pretty much kind of in love with me. But we both know how much work there is. It's got, the, the shine is going to wear off and then the work, the real work is going to begin. You know? You've obtained it. You've closed that deal. You got that promotion. You got that degree. You won that championship. How many, this is a common story in the NFL. How many guys have won the Super Bowl thinking that that would complete their life and a week after they win the Super Bowl, they admit they're depressed? Isn't that interesting? The shine, the luster wears off. That mountaintop experience starts heading right into the, to the valley. Does it depress you to think now about those things that you thought would complete you and you've got even achieved some of those things? I mean, think about it. Five years ago, what was that one thing? Ten years ago, what was that one thing? Twenty years ago. And they change, like I said, with the season. What's that one thing today? What is it? And what's it going to be in 10 years? Well, I don't know. I'm not there yet. I know, but there's, it's going to be different. 
For you technology nerds, you're sitting there going, it hasn't been invented yet, but when it is, it's going to be awesome and I'm going to want it. That's going to be the one thing, I'm telling you. Google eyes or googly eyes or whatever it is, I don't know. <laughs> not one of those technology, I'm just a nerd, not a technology nerd. There's a, I, I've learned now to describe movies from the 90s as old, old, old movies. There's this ancient movie from the 90s. City Slickers. Anybody know of that movie? Yeah, okay, all the guys my age. All right, so that's good. Thank you, Dennis. Um, <laughs> uh, th there's a lot of iconic scenes in that movie. There's one, though, that I want to talk just a little bit about. It's, it's a scene where there isn't a lot of action, but it's, but it's deeply philosophical. I mean, people talked a lot about this scene from a worldview and philosophical uh, standpoint. It, it's that scene where where Jack Palance, Curly, the guy that literally eventually dies in the saddle, okay, he's the wrangler on this cattle drive. He's talking to Billy Crystal, Mitch. And they're just riding along. All the cows are doing what they're supposed to do. So they have this quiet time together where they get to talk and they get to go a little bit deeper with each other. And they begin to talk about the meaning of life and the purpose of life and, and what's really important and all that stuff. And Jack Palance, Curly, says to, to Mitch, he says, let me ask you something. How old are you? You're like 39, right? And Mitch goes, nah, 38. And he says, yeah, okay, close enough though, right? I, I, I had it pegged. He says, you guys are all the same. All you guys from the city are the same. You guys are out there chasing what you think is gonna fulfill you in life, make you happy in life, that one thing in life that's gonna make it for you. And then you begin to realize that it's not out there. And somehow you think that if you go and drive cattle for two weeks with me, that that's gonna be it. And you're gonna figure it out up here. And so you come up here trying to figure out what the meaning and purpose of life is. And you find out that it's not in driving cattle for two weeks either. You're all the same and you're all goofy. And then he says to Mitch, he says, here's the meaning of life. It's this. And Mitch says, what, your finger? <laughs> no, it's this one thing. It's this one thing. And Mitch asks the question that I would ask, you would ask, everybody would ask. Well, what is that one thing? And Curly says, well, that's what you got to figure out for yourself. You got to go on that journey yourself and you got to figure that out for yourself. But you got to find this one thing. It's different for everybody else. And there's the lie. That's the lie that our culture embraces about this thing. That you're unique and special and that it's all about you and everything should center around you. And whatever it is that's gonna fulfill you, it's all about your desires and what you uh, are going to experience. And it's different for everybody else. And, and your thing may be different than my thing. And your thing is good for you, but it's not my thing. I gotta go and find my own thing. My thing is special and it's just for me. And it's that one thing. And that is a lie. That is just a lie. It's a lie that you got to figure it out, too. Jesus is telling us this in these two little parables. It's a lie that you got to go and figure it out. And it's a lie that you can find it on a cattle drive or in your career or, or in a cause or in wealth or in education or in ASU finally winning a Rose Bowl championship, even though it's been decades and decades and decades and decades since we joined the pack, whatever it is now. And there are some people who think that's what's going to fulfill their life. It, it, it's, it's fascinating. And, and this thought permeates everything that we come into contact with now. Uh, I did a lot of reading this last week, which, which is helpful. Uh, this book that I, the last book that I started, I'm about 60 pages into it, is written by a guy named Greg Epstein. Some of you maybe have heard of this guy because he's on television occasionally, on CNN and, and um, Fox and MSNBC. Uh, Greg Epstein is the humanist chaplain at Harvard University. 
And I know right out of the gate, there's some of you who are pretty cynical who are going, really? They have a humanist chaplain at Harvard University? I mean, what did he have to do to prepare for that? I mean, come on. It's a serious job. It's a real job. He has several advanced degrees. He had to go through training in order to get this job. He's a chaplain for non-religious people at Harvard University. He's their chaplain. And he wrote a book called Good Without God. He wrote a book called Good Without God. It's, it's, it's sort of a humanist manifesto. A humanist is somebody who doesn't believe in God but believes that they can be good without God. And that's kind of a double entendre if you think about it. And he means the title of the book to be a double entendre, to have a double meaning. That listen, I'm okay not having God in my life. I'm good without God. But he also uses the book to make the argument Because many of us biblical types would argue that Scripture says you can't be a good person apart from God. He says, oh no, we can. The humanist believes that we can be good people apart from God in our lives and that God is not real. Why am I reading this book? Because I think it's helpful to know how other people think outside of the realm of the church. I think that's helpful. But it's interesting, in chapter one, he talks about a a student named Jennifer who comes to see him. And Jennifer's in this very difficult, emotional, intellectual, um, existential debate with herself about the reality of God. She doesn't know if she believes in God, and so she goes to the humanist chaplain to talk about that. She goes to Greg, and, and she says, I don't know what to do about this. And he says, listen, we run into this a lot in, in the humanist area because there are some people who want to be humanists, but they, they, they can't let go of that last bastion of ancient tradition that maybe their parents or their grandparents had for them. And so we understand, and so we want you to be able to think about God without necessarily committing to God, and you can still be a humanist. And so he says to her, the most important question you have to ask is not whether or not you believe in God, but what you think about God. What do you think about God? What do you think about him or her or it? That's the most important thing. And here's the most important thing about determining what you think about God. Here it is. He says, you have to decide what it is that you think about God. And he literally uses Tim Keller's name. He says, you can't can't decide who God is based on what Tim Keller says or what I say or what your parents say or what anybody else says. This God has to be a God that you have created for yourself. You see that? That's what's important. This is the philosophy and the worldview that we embrace. And people embrace it without even stopping to think about it. Oh, City Slickers was so deep when Curly talked about that one thing. And Jesus says, I got a couple of parables, three verses, that's going to refute all of that. And here's the troubling thing about these parables. Here you go. This is really simple, okay? You either believe them or you don't, and that's pretty much the end of the discussion. You either believe it or you don't. He's not arguing the nuances of the kingdom of God here. He's saying the kingdom of God is real and it's so wonderful that it should be your greatest and only treasure in your life. So much so that you urgently will give up anything for it and focus on it and it will bring you the joy that has eluded you your whole life and that you have wanted your whole life. That's what he says. That's what he says that one thing is. He says, Curly, get rid of your finger. I got that one thing. Here you go. Let me just read it for you again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
And again, I mentioned this earlier. This is interesting. The Gospel of Mark, uh, the scholars say, is, has a sense of immediacy to it where it just moves. There's just constant action. That's not true the way Matthew writes his gospel. Matthew writes his gospel a little bit more slowly. Some would say meandering, although I wouldn't necessarily use that word, but there's certainly more detail. It's a longer gospel. It takes you longer to get to where Matthew wants to take you, but not in these three verses. There is urgency in these three verses. In fact, some of the translations don't say that these guys went and sold what they had in order to acquire the field or the pearl. It says that they went immediately. They went at once. That that's the proper translation of, of the Greek in there. And so what Jesus is saying is that that one thing you've been looking for is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And the only way you can have the kingdom of heaven is through me because I'm the one who came and ushered it in and I'm the one who is gonna come again and consummate it in its finality in the new Jerusalem and it's only through me. And so the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and, Ju and Jesus are inseparable. They are that one thing. The kingdom and Jesus is that one thing that you and I have been searching for in every season of our life at all times. And that's the point of these parables. That's it right there. There you go. That's what you should take away today. You should seek the kingdom of God. But I'm going to go just a little bit longer and make some, <laughs> and make some observations that you can also pull out of this that I think are helpful and important, and then we'll be done. There are characteristics that we see in these three short verses that betray or manifest themselves in those people who have found, quote, found the kingdom of God. I mean, it's clear that they're there. And I want to give you a little quick little disclaimer before we get into this. This is going to sound a little bit like a theological how-to list, and that's not what it is, even though it may sound a little bit like that. Rather, these are characteristics that permeate the lives of those people who are a part of the kingdom of heaven by the power and the grace of Jesus Christ because they cannot help it. The Holy Spirit is living in you, has regenerated your heart. You're a new creation, Paul tells us, in 2 Corinthians, we have newness of life. And so if you're a part of this kingdom now, by the power of Jesus, you're going to have a sense of urgency, sacrifice, focus, and joy in your life. You just will. And here you go. Even if you are in the midst of monumentally difficult human situations, which I know many of us are. I get that. And I'm not trying to obscure or downplay those very difficult situations that you might be in. They're miserable. You're suffering. I get all of that. But even in the midst of that, knowing that Jesus has brought this kingdom, he's ushered in this kingdom, and he's going to come again and give us our inheritance, that one hope that we can grasp onto that is the surest thing in our lives, that gives us a sense of purpose and urgency and joy and sacrifice even in the midst of hard times. What I'm about to tell you is not Sunday morning stuff that you'll think about for 45 minutes until you get to lunch or the kids start making demands or, or you're like, get, get this over with if you're a hockey fan because you know the Blackhawks and the Kings are playing at 12 o'clock and, and you forget about it then or you take a nap, whatever it is. These are things that you're going to be wrestling with or should be wrestling with all the time because the Holy Spirit's going to bring them up in you. He brings them up in me all the time. The Spirit is constantly reminding me, preach the gospel to yourself, Frank. You need to hear the good news yourself every day. You need to be reminded of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. You need to be reminded of the kingdom that you are now a part of 
through the church, through the bride of Christ, and you need to be reminded of the kingdom that you are going to be a part of someday when the new Jerusalem comes. These are things that we're, we're gonna, just going to wrestle with and embrace our entire life because it's not us, it's, but it's God in us. And so here they are, four things. Number one, there will be urgency about our relationship with Jesus, some sense of urgency about our relationship with Jesus and our desire to be a part of that kingdom. I, I, okay, so for two minutes, I'm gonna give you some sports and, uh, uh, illustrations. For those of you that don't like sports illustrations, just give me two minutes and I'll be right back with you, okay? For years and years and years, the rap, the critique against the National Basketball Association was that in the NBA, you go to a game and the guys would just kind of coast they would sort of, they'd just sort of go through the motions for the first 46 minutes of the game. But then when the announcer would go, two minutes, two minutes, then they'd start to play with a sense of urgency. Then they'd start to play hard. And that's when all the action was, the last two minutes, which, by the way, takes an hour to play because of all the timeouts. But there's a sense of urgency then. So you always went and got your food and your beer and you went to the bathroom before the last two minutes because that's where the action was. Well, you and I, as living in Christ, in this kingdom, should not be waiting around for God to be saying to us, two minutes, two minutes. I'll get around to that Jesus stuff when God says two minutes. We should not be waiting. In fact, I would argue that God, the minute he brings us into the kingdom through Jesus, the minute we are converted, the, the minute the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, and our affections are now for God, that's when he says two minutes. But it's a metaphorical two minutes. It might be decades. But we're supposed to live our lives with that two-minute urgency. Uh, here's the other illustration. I know for a fact, because we found each other in this congregation, that there are NHL fans here, National Hockey League fans here. There are hockey fans in Arcadia. God bless you. And, and, and this is our favorite time of the year because it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, what, and we all talk about this. We all say the same thing. The reason we love it so much is because there is an intensity and an urgency with which those playoff games are played that you don't see anywhere else really in life. It's amazing. From the minute they drop that first puck, until, no matter what the score is, until the last buzzer goes off, those players are giving everything they have to win that stupid playoff game. And Jesus says there's a sense of urgency in the kingdom of God that says that's what we're going to be like. That's what we should be like. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to manifest in us. Can, can I get an amen from my hockey brothers and sisters out there? Anyway, thank you very much. Okay, now I know where you are. All right, that's good. All right. Jesus and his kingdom are worth that urgency and fervor all the time. Uh, they, they, it is. It just is. Sean Myers, our pastoral resident, he says and displays all the time, he is in desperate pursuit of this all the time. You ever notice how he ends his prayers? We desperately need you. He, he lives, I, I see him living his life with this. You would, I read a couple of books last week. He reads a couple of books a day. I mean, this guy is crazy. And he reads a couple thousand chapters of the Bible every day. I mean, the guy is just constantly reading. He's constantly praying. He's constantly hanging with people. He's praying right now as I am talking because it's probably better for him than listening to me. And, and, and I look at <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, sometimes I look at him and I go, who's 
supposed to be teaching who here? That spirit. I, I see that in him as well. And here's what's really interesting. If you're Christ, there are people in the world, they probably haven't told you, but they see it in you too. They see it. Maria stood up here and said, uh, maybe a good thing that my editors don't know that I'm a Christian. You know what? I think they know. You can't help but get close to Maria and not know that she's different and that there's something about her that makes her different and it is Jesus that makes her different. And people see that about you as well. And, and, and so this urgency that we have is not only for our pursuit of the kingdom, which God has given us and has asked us to be a part of helping to usher in in the world now, but our urgency should also be for that ushering in, for the promulgation of the kingdom here on earth as well. Second thing, there will be sacrifice in our relationship with Jesus. I don't think we talk about this enough. And, and again, it's... It, this is not a forced, hunker down, uh, I gotta do this out of duty sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice that is driven by the, by the love and astonishment that we have for Jesus because of what he's done for us, because he hung on a cross for us. And he didn't have to do that for us. And I've really thought about this idea of sacrifice as it relates to my family, my wife Jackie, my two daughters Shelby and Darby. I gotta tell you something. It's funny, again, uh, the marriage thing. A lot of people talk about their in-laws in sort of critical ways. Have you ever noticed that? We make jokes about our in-laws, you know? And it's like the worst thing that a married couple would ever have to do is they'd have to move in with one of the two in-laws, okay? Something's happened in their life and they're gonna have to move in with their in-laws and that's gonna be a horrible thing. Oh man, I would rather live in the street than live with my in-laws, you know what I mean? Let me tell you something. I, I would... I would not only move in with my in-laws if, if, if it made Jackie's and Shelby's and Darby's life better, I would move in with your in-laws if it would make Shelby's. I'd move in with anybody's in-laws. For those of you that are parents, I understand if you're single, you don't have kids, you don't quite get this yet. Uh, but those of you who are parents, you understand what I'm talking about. This, this, this willingness to sacrifice for something, you, you don't even know you had it in you until you had your kid, Right? My life was turned upside down when Shelby was, was born. I, I began to realize that years, years ago, years ago, I used to say this out loud. I would say out loud that I wanted to die before Jackie because I did not want to live a life without her and because I wanted her to take care of me as I died. I thought that was kind of her duty to do that. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit revealed to me how selfish and self-centered that way. That's really selfish and self-centered. I think the Holy Spirit used Jackie as sort of his channel, but um, she came to me and said, the Holy Spirit told me to tell you, you're really selfish, okay? So, but, but the Holy Spirit revealed to me how selfish that is, you know? It's just a selfish way of, and now I realize. Now, we should be willing to live with anyone and live for anything in order to serve Jesus. Not because he requires it. Again, this is really important but because we recognize his sacrifice for us. That sacrifice he made for us is incredible. I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing that it was pretty good in heaven with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit just hanging out. And then they had an assignment for him. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he became a man. 
and he had to go to the cross and suffer and die so that you and I might be reconciled to God through him. We sacrifice because of the sacrifice he's made for us. And third, there's going to be focus in our relationship with Jesus because of the kingdom that he's given us. You know, what are you willing to exclude from your life in order to be more focused on what's really important in life? And that would be Jesus and his community. And, and, and the reason I ask that is because I have noticed, in my own life especially, that the one thing that always gets set aside in favor of something else really is my attention and focus on Jesus. I've been one of those people who in the past has said, if I can just get this figured out, if I can just get this done, let me just focus and concentrate on this first, then there will be time for Jesus. You know what I found out? There's never time for Jesus if you live your life that way because the minute you're done with that thing, there's four more things lining up. We believe that all of life is, for, is all for Jesus and so Jesus should be fully integrated now in all of those things that we're doing that are important but Jesus should still be at the center of all of those things. So the reason that we are focused and, and we sacrifice and there's a sense of urgency when it comes to Jesus and his kingdom, is it because we need to work hard to legitimately be with Jesus? No, that's not what these parables are teaching. These parables clearly teach that urgency, sacrifice, and focus are in response to, to receiving Jesus and his kingdom invading our lives. And us being a part of that. And so fourthly, lastly, there is joy. We have joy. It's mentioned in the first, in the first parable. Now, we spend a lot, of times, a lot of time in church defining joy and wanting to make, make sure that we understand the difference between joy and happiness because so many people think that they're synonyms, you know, and we want to make sure that theologically you understand that joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is based on circumstances, that it's a very worldly type of thing. And if your circumstances are good, you're happy. But if they're not good, you're unhappy. But joy, joy is based on a relationship with Jesus and they transcend all of your circumstances. And so there should be joy no matter what your circumstances are. And yes, that's true and I believe that. But sometimes when we teach that, it makes it sound like happiness is something that we're not supposed to engage in. I'm for happiness. Anybody else? Let's see your hands. Are we for yeah. Happiness is a good thing, right? Okay. But we need to understand that joy goes, it does go even deeper than that. Joy is, is not just the relationship with Jesus. It's actually everything that is consequential because of the relationship with Jesus. It's, it's the confidence that we have, the contentment that we have, the gratitude that we have, and the hope that we have. It's the confidence that we have in Christ that God really is who he said he was, that he would rescue his people through his son Jesus Christ, and that he is sovereign and he is in control of all things, and we can give our lives to him joyfully and confidently, and that we can boldly come to his throne of grace and receive Jesus and pray. It's, it's the sense of contentment that we have. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter four. He says, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret to being contented. I know what it is to have a lot and I know what it is to have nothing. I know what it is to be well fed and I know what it is to be starving to death. But in all things, I can do everything. I can do all of that through him, Christ, who gives me strength. I am content. I can bear all things. And, and understand, contentment is not over and against ambition. Paul never says you can't be ambitious in order to be content. This is not a screed against ambition. It's not a screed against working and having purpose. 
Rather, what it is, is it's, is, is it's an understanding that when we go out with ambition and with purpose to live our lives, at the end of the day, we can look around and we can say, God, thank you for what I have. Thank you for where I am. Thank you for who I'm with. And thank you for where you are taking me, wherever that is. That's contentment. And we have that in Christ because of our relationship with him. And that brings us joy. I don't know that you can separate joy from contentment. I don't see how you can. And then there's gratitude. Gratitude because of this unbelievable gift that God has given to us through his son. He went to the cross for us so that we could be reconciled to God, paying the price that we couldn't pay and paying a price that he never should have paid if it was all based on merit. It was a price that you and I should have paid. And out of that comes gratitude. We should be grateful for what has happened. And, and, and from gratitude is gonna come a sense of, of generosity. A grateful heart is always a generous heart. We've been given a gift. We are grateful. And that makes us generous. And finally, there's hope. There's hope because we know what's coming. We hope because of the inheritance that we've been promised. There's hope because of the glory we know that we are going to be a part of and receive in the new Jerusalem. That's all Romans 8 stuff, by the way. But if you want a little preview, a little trailer of what that's going to look like, go home today and read Revelation chapters 21 and 22, the new Jerusalem. It's going to be awesome. It's just a little picture of what it's going to be like. And, and it's Jesus who does all of this. Jesus. And that gives us joy to be with him. So that's what the kingdom is like. People in the kingdom have urgency. And, and again, this is not a frenetic, anxious, stressed out urgency. How many of you are good at being urgent when it's frenetic, stressed, and anxious? That's me, okay? I'm really good at that kind of urgency. That's not the kind of urgency we're talking about here. This is an urgency that is, that is born of passion and purpose and zealousness because of what God has given us. And the kingdom is filled with people who sacrifice joyfully, who are willing to give, who are generous. The kingdom is filled with people who are who are focused. We're focused because Jesus has given us everything. Let me ask a question. Um, anybody ever meet or spend time with the President of the United States? Any president, doesn't matter. Anybody, yeah? Okay, we had a couple in the first service too. Okay. Uh, how about any of you ever, have you ever thought of, oh boy, if I could just, if my favorite, so for Myers it would be, what, that Peyton Manning guy, okay? Oh, if I could just spend an hour with Peyton Manning. You know, maybe your favorite entertainer, okay? All right, I would love to sit down for an hour with Brian Regan. That would be awesome for me. You know what I mean? Or Jim Gaffigan, either one. Both of them, that would be good. You know, coffee with comedians, whatever it is, okay? If you're able to do that, though, let's say you sit down with the president or your favorite entertainer or your favorite athlete or whatever. Are you going to be indifferent, distracted, apathetic, or bored in that situation? Of course not. Of course not. But even that's not going to last. It will with Jesus, though. It's going to last forever and ever and ever with Jesus. And so there's going to be joy. Urgency, sacrifice, focus, joy. This is the kingdom. This is the promise. This is not only what we're a part of now, but what we have to look forward to in the future. It's really interesting to me. I, I recount this all the time. It's part of what gives me a grateful heart for what God has done in my life. I recount this all the time. Some of you have heard this so many times, you're sick of it. You're gonna hear it again. It's interesting how I came to find, find the kingdom of God. My wife, Jackie, 
27 and a half years ago, she was that one thing. We, we were working together uh, in the same company. We had gotten to know each other. We had developed a friendship over the course of two years. And she became that one thing in my life. Uh, there was a sense of urgency with which I tried to develop my relationship with Jackie. I was willing to do anything to be with Jackie, sacrifice, I'd give anything. And I was focused and determined to achieve this. Of course, she was going to marry some other guy, so that was kind of an obstacle. Um, but then God parted the waters and she broke up with him. <laughs> and, and I knew I had to have a conversation with her. And it was kind of a, it was a pre-Seinfeld, Seinfeld moment, so it was before Seinfeld had started, but it was definitely a Seinfeld episode. It was like, how long do I wait before I tell her I'm in love with her? What's the grace period? Can't you see this is a Seinfeld episode? Those of you that know Seinfeld, some of you are like, who's Seinfeld? I know. <laughs> How long do I wait? Do I wait five days? Do I wait two weeks? Five minutes is good. So I went right down and I said, we got to have a conversation. She's crying, you know, I just broke up. I got to have a conversation with you, okay? Now, here's the problem. I had never been to church. I'd never been in a church. I was, complete, I was as unchurched as you could get. And I had absolutely no language for what Jackie was. She was churched. She was churched. <laughs> North Phoenix Baptist Church, Central and Bethany Home, Bapidome churched. I'm telling you. And, and so when I talked to her, I said, listen, uh, I said, let's, let's talk tomorrow night. And we, we ended up talking. And I said, I, I'm interested in you. And if you're interested in me, we need to have a conversation. So let's get over that hurdle. What do you think? She's like, okay. Ron called, but okay, you know. So I said, okay, here's the problem now. I, I didn't even have language for it. The church thing. I kept calling it the church thing or the Jesus thing. I used both of those. You're, you're really into that. And I'm not. And that may be a problem going forward, okay? So one of us is going to have to figure this out. And I told her, I said, look, I don't think you're going to leave this life of church and Jesus. I don't know why. Uh, I've gotten along for 27 years without it, but, but okay, it's important to you. So here's what I'm willing to do. Sacrifice, urgency, focus, here you go. I'm willing to go to church with you as part of our courting time. You need to take me to church. Now, you need to be with me every minute that we're there to protect me from those freaks, all right? <laughs> Don't ever leave me. Go to the bathroom before we go to church. God used my focus, sacrifice, and urgency for Jackie because I was sure that I was going to have joy if I could obtain her. He used that to lead me to him. Next thing you know, I'm sitting in church going, this is real. This is what I've been looking for. And he used my urgency, focus, and sacrifice for Jackie and turned it toward him through Jackie. The Holy Spirit was living in her. She had something, just like I told you you do, that I saw but couldn't understand or quantify until I was introduced to Jesus and then the Holy Spirit did the rest. And that's how I came to the kingdom. And here's the funny thing. Now my 
Focus, urgency, and sacrifice is directed toward the kingdom. And guess what? Here's what's really fun about the gospel. That makes me a better spouse to Jackie, believe it or not. It's C.S. Lewis talking about making sure that we have first things first and let second things fall into their proper place once we have those first things figured out. I'm a better husband. Jackie's a better wife because we love Jesus more than we love each other. And God used this pursuit of Jackie to draw me to him. You see, that's the majesty of the kingdom. That's the beauty of the kingdom. That's the treasure of this kingdom. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us in these three verses. It's that important. You'll give everything for it. Let's respond. Let's take communion together.